Let's just uh, yes, begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for that reminder that you are a good God and that you love us so dearly. Lord, may we just rest in that love tonight. No matter what is said or not said, God, may we just know that you're with us and that you love us. And because of that, because of your love for us, Lord, we can love other people in your name. So I just invite you to be present with us tonight. I know you already am, are, and uh, just ask that you would speak to us, um, speak to our hearts, speak to our spirits, Lord. And uh, we thank you. We thank you that you you hear us, you're for us, and then you, you're just so faithful to us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, tonight... I was going to share with you a little bit about some people uh, they, that I've met throughout um, these last few years as I've been able to, to go on mission in different places. And um, I thought I'd start out with, with this one man. Um, there's a picture of him and we'll put up there. And this is a man that um, uh, we met in Cambodia. And this is actually um, a picture um, from a few years before. But in, in 2012, um, as I shared earlier, uh, Terry joined our, our team, and it was our first medical team to Cambodia. And there we had, you know, optometrists, dentists, and everybody, and we visited these remote areas. And, and we, would, we would give them their medical treatment, and then at the end we would ask them if they w- wanted prayer. And people who said yes, you know, they would come for prayer, uh, we gave them each a salvation bracelet that we would share. We would say, "Hey, we're gonna, sh- you know, ask ask people to share the story with you." And those that were open, we prayed for them. And in Cambodia, they're they're very spiritual nations. They don't have just one god. They have many gods, and they have many spirit houses, um, and they worship different uh, spirits there. And um, so we go and we share about the one God, the Creator God, the God of love the God who wants to bless and heal. And many people ask for healing for their physical um, uh, uh, illnesses and things like that. But we were done actually one day with, um, I think we were about done with our clinic that day. And uh, this man comes up to us and, you know, and a couple people were from the team. We went in 2012, but people were there uh, from, had gone with this other church in 20. Uh, 2008, and they had been there so, you know, four years earlier, and they came and they saw this man, and they said, oh, you're the man. You're the man that we met, and he was so glad to see them, and so we found this picture of him, and this was him in 2008, and he had come in, and you see his growth by his chin. He's got this huge tumor, and uh, Jim was a doctor, and he went, and he um, did surgery, open aired surgery in a very unclean area. And there's another picture I don't have, but there's a picture of a duck walking by and a dog sitting there. So this is not surgery facility. So he did this surgery for this man, and he said, let's just pray that it doesn't get infected. You know, with, with dog and fowl about, let's pray that it doesn't get affected. Um, and then they, they, he stitched him up and then went on our way. And then four years later, we came back to the same village, and this man came, and he was looking for us. And he said, I needed to come and find you. So that's him in the middle with a smile on his face. And he said, I I wanted to come. I heard you were here. I wanted to come and thank you because I want to tell you my story. And he said that he had had a hard life growing up. And he said that his, his family, everybody was mean to him. He said no one had ever done anything kind to him that he could remember in his whole life. So he had grown up very bitter and angry, and he said, I would never smile. He said, but I came to this clinic, and people came, and they, they helped me. And they, you know, I, I had this lump, and I would feel bad, and it, everyone would look at me like I was weird. And, and he said, and they... And they uh, healed me, and they asked for nothing in return. 
So he said, I went home, and, and after I got better, and I found that I had been healed, I came back to this village, and I found this pastor, and I was asking him who these people were, and why did they come and, and help me uh, for no reason. And he found the pastor, and that's the pastor on the right, and he shared with him about Jesus. And so then he started to learn more about Jesus. He says, I want to learn. I want to know about this Jesus that sent these people here to help me. And so he began to learn, and he began to uh, understand who Jesus was, and he gave his life over to Jesus, and he became a faithful church member, and now he had become an elder in this pastor's church so that when the pastor is out of town, he is the one who does the teaching, and he is the one who takes care of the people in the church. And we got to meet him, and he is there with a smile on his face. I share that because it reminds me of what happens when the love of God touches people's lives in, in, in very profound and very real ways. John 13, verse 33 to 35 says, My children, this is Jesus speaking, says, I will be with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going you cannot come. But a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The church at this village has a good reputation. People know the love of God um, at this village and this man and this church because of what this team did. And I thought about that. And, and if you go to places like Cambodia, a certain region, um, people are still against the Christian faith, and, and Christians are still persecuted in, in several places. But there is still an openness to God because of, of the way people have experienced God in certain villages and through Christ followers. But I was thinking here in the U.S., it's different, isn't it? Here in, in our neighborhood, in, in, you know, here whether you're in Oakland or Seattle, often the church is not known for its love. The church is not known as, as a place that blesses people. Instead, often it's known as a place that full of people who are judgmental, who are hypocritical, who are, you know, anti-this or anti-homosexual. They only care about money. And uh, it's really bothering, bothered me. And I was sharing in, a, in the workshop this afternoon that once I was going to the post office and I stopped and there was a man there and with his petition and he wanted, uh, you know, was asking people to sign the petition and it was against bullying, anti-bullying in the schools. And we meet at a school, our lighthouse meets at an elementary school. And so I, you know, it was my day off. So I said, yeah, let me, let me find out more about it. So I was chatting with him about how, you know, there's, the students are under different pressures and, um, and, and a lot of them are being, you know, cyberbullying and things like that. So he asked me to sign the petition. So I said, well, let me see it. And he had this folder. And in the folder, he was talking about um, standing up against oppression of all kinds. And there was a section in there where it says oppression against uh, organizations such as radical Muslims, terrorists, and in between, Christians. And I said, Christians in the middle of radical Muslims and terrorists. <laughs> and I said to him, you know, I really, um, I, I so love what you're doing, and uh, I appreciate that you're there to protect kids. But I'm just wondering about this petition because it says, you know, if I sign this, I am st taking a stand against Christians. And, you know, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't think a lot of Christians are, are oppressive in that way. Anyway, we went and got into this whole conversation and he was very adamant that it should be the way it was because there were a lot of Christians who were not good. And I said, you know, and it didn't matter what I said. I said, well, wouldn't it be odd if I put, you know, you can put radical Christians or, you know, um, oppressive Christians, some, some qualifier like you did for the radical Muslims, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, Isn't it, wouldn't it be odd if I just put, like, Catholics 
or I put Buddhist. You know, you would never do something like that. But somehow, he, he just didn't, wasn't, wasn't there. And it really made me sad that, that in, in this nation, in many parts of, of our nation today, um, Christians don't have that reputation of being kind and generous and loving. So I thought I'd talk today a little bit about that as we, as we go into the world and as we bring the good news of Jesus, that there is, there is hostility towards the church. And, and it is um, a task that God has given us to somehow be good news people and to press through the, the fears and the, and the um, disappointments that people have experienced. And so how can we become a church community characterized by truly the radical love that we know that is from God? So that's one thing I wanted to say tonight. And I don't know how far we'll get with this, but I'm just going to go with this right now. And we might end at a different place, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the outline for now. But I want to just think about that for a little bit um, for the first half of this talk. But I want to start here in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts. And so um, here we are with Paul, Apostle Paul, in the city of Athens. And he comes there as part of his missionary journey. He's there. And this is what we read when he comes to the, the city of Athens in verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Arepagos, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I was reading this passage, and I was thinking if, if I was Paul, and he's in the city of Athens, and he comes into this very, it was a very um, uh, world-class city at that time. And, you know, there was a lot of money there, a lot of rich people there, um, a lot of educated people there, philosophers there, uh, people from all walks of life. And he comes there and he sees the city full of idols, different things that people worship. And really none of them worship God. So he reasoned the temple and in the marketplace, right, in, in the business areas. And then they, they, there's different kinds of people. The Epicurean people were the people who just live for the today, right? And then the Stoic people are, you know, people that, who, who live a very strict lifestyle. And they began to debate with him, and they call him a babbler, you know, someone who just talks nonsense. But they're curious with him. So he doesn't have a lot of favor in this place. But yet... He says some intriguing things, and they say, we want to hear more about what you're talking about. So the first thing I thought about, it reminded me of, of you know, kind of our life here. I remember as an engineer, I would work in, in, uh, in our company, and at the time, it was not a very popular thing to be a Christian at our company. I remember one time, a group of us went out to lunch, and the, the subject of abortion came up. And everybody just assumed that I believed a certain way, you know, and, and, and I didn't. And, and they looked at me and, you know, they sort of thought I was really odd and they changed the subject. But it's, it's not a very popular place to be, to be a Christ follower. So how can we be known by our love when we are in a situation where people don't think well of us? And I thought, just call our attention to a few things. Um, that we can learn here uh, from the Apostle Paul and from Jesus. And that's in the beginning to begin to build trust. And to build trust with our, quote, enemies, whoever our enemies are. And 
um, I was talking about this at the, at the workshop also this afternoon, is that most people who have a negative view of believers, often the first step we need to do is to begin to build trust because trust is not there. In fact, distrust is there instead. But we have to start to build trust. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 48. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So who are our enemies? Who do you view people who maybe rub you the wrong way or are different from you or value different things or worship different things or have different worldviews? Who feels like our enemies today? And what are we doing to build trust with them? A number of years ago, I, I had a friend who uh, you were hanging out and we're doing different things. And then one day he's like, oh, let's go and have dinner um, out in the city. So we said, okay, we'll go over there. So a couple of us jumped in the car and, and we were driving out there. And he goes, oh, yeah, we're going to have dinner with my brother. And we're like, great. And so we're kind of chatting. And then right before we get to the restaurant, he says, oh, by the way, uh, my brother is my identical twin. And we're like, what? He goes, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, also, he's gay. And, uh, oh, yeah, and his partner would be joining us, too. Okay, we're here. <laughs> we're, thanks for the warning. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I'm sure this was a, a many years ago. But what would you have done at that point? You know, for some of us, uh, this is, what, you know, we have family members who are, who are, who are gay. We, we know friends, coworkers. Um, but what would it be like, you know, to have dinner with people who are different from you? And so, um, you know, I, this, is, this is many years ago. And so he was actually, I didn't know too many people who were gay at that time. So we went out to dinner with him and, and his partner. And he was just such a great guy. And we were just kind of chatting. And at the end of the evening, I had noticed that his partner just didn't treat him very well. And uh, was kind of this controlling personality. So at the end of the evening, we're kind of walking back and you know, we're kind of chatting and saying, oh, what are we going to do this weekend? And he said, oh, I'm going to do this and that. And he said, what are you going to do? And at the time, I said, well, I'm going to church membership class. <laughs> and I think that was when I was at Lehman, church membership <laughs> class. And he said, wow, you have to go to class to be a member? Why do you have to do that? And I thought, good question. So... But we just had this conversation, and, and he was intrigued. And so, you know, he just began asking more questions about church and, you know, who could be a member and who couldn't be a member. And uh, then afterward, we started to talk about relationships, and we're just chatting about different things. He started to share about maybe some of the struggles that he had in his current relationship. And so I just started talking to him, and I said, you know, I kind of noticed that, you know, your partner doesn't seem to treat you with a lot of respect. You know, and it and actually pained me to see that. And uh, we, we ended up having a good conversation. And at the end of the night, um, we parted, and I thought, wow, I, I've met this really great person. Um, how, how do people, is that your experience, or is that people's experience when they come to know that you're a believer? Uh, I meet many people now who, who are gay, and, and it's and as soon as they find out that I'm a Christian, or it's definitely that I'm a pastor, they sort of shy away from me. You know, or they feel like, I would not be welcome in your church. And it really pains me you know, when I hear that. But they truly believe that. And so many people, I was realizing that many people who seem like enemies of the church are people who don't feel loved. People who don't feel welcomed. And they don't feel accepted. So how do we love as Jesus loved? And I think the first thing we need to do is to begin to build trust with people. Um, and we can do that a few ways. 
And, and one is to take time, I, I say take time to walk across the room. You know, if you go to any kind of uh, gatherings or, you know, whether it's work or whether it's social, often, you know, birds of a feather stick together, right? When you go into a classroom, often, you know, whether it's ethnicity-wise, age-wise, faith-wise, often we, we sort of cling together. And sometimes there are people who need Jesus who are just across the room. Or maybe at your church office, they're just across the other office. Or maybe they're your neighbor who is just across the street. When I was in, in engineering, there were people who needed to know Jesus and didn't know Jesus all around me. But now that I've become a pastor, I'm surrounded by Christian people. <laughs> so I actually have to go out of my way to meet people who, who don't yet know Jesus. Um, one time I was at, when I was uh, working, uh, at, at, when I was working in the company with Michelle, there's one guy in our cubicle who was, um, who was Muslim. And so he was in my, in my quad cubicle, and so I was chatting with him, and I, one day I was inviting him to church, and he said, oh, yeah. I said, well, have you ever been to church before? And, you know, we have this and we have that. And he said, oh, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. And so I kept following up with him, and then one day he said to me, you know, Nancy, I'll make you a deal. I'll go to your church if you'll come to my church. And I said, oh, okay. I've never been to a mosque before. Let's do it. So he comes to my church, and, you know, and this is a different church, and, and he has, a, I think, a very good experience. And then the following week, he says, he goes, okay, well, it's your turn to come to my church. And we go, I go to mosque at 1 o'clock on Wednesdays. So I said, great. So on Wednesday comes, and I, and I said, okay, I'm ready to go. We're going to go to the mosque today, right? And he looks at me, and he says, is that what you're wearing? And I said, Why? What's wrong with what I'm wearing? And uh, apparently you have to cover your head for women, and you also have to wear long sleeves and a long skirt. You have to cover everything. And I said, well, you did not tell me that, so I obviously can't go today. So the following week I went and I, I got all these scarves, and he goes, okay, let's go. And so he drives over to the mosque, and, and I see the mosque there, and he goes, but he doesn't go to the entrance. He goes towards the back, right? And he goes, um you got to get out here. And I said, because you can park the car? He goes, no, the women go through this side. And I said, so I have to go by myself? And he says, well, I can't go with you because the men's entrance is in the front. I said, wow, thanks again for telling me this. So we go to the... Um, so I go to the, the back entrance, and, you know, I go in, and it's all women, and there's a divider, and the men are in the front side, and the women are in the back side, and everybody has a, uh, a rug, except he forgot to tell me, so I had no rug. And so everybody, you know, took their shoes off, and then they, they put the rug on the floor, and then they would uh, kneel there and, and pray. And meanwhile, the speaker is speaking, except he's not speaking in English. <laughs> well, he kind of goes afterwards, he does. He goes, goes back, back and forth. Um, but anyway, so I was there, and so I just decided just to pray for the church, pray for him, you know, pray for the people. And then when it was over, you know, I went outside, and he, he met me there. But it was a great experience for me, and then it was a time for us to talk about what he believed and to talk about, you know, what was similar, what was different, and things like that. But it takes effort, doesn't it, to get to know someone else's world, to get to know their life and what's important to them. You've got to make the effort to do that. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that all the time, right? He went and he sat with, with the, the sinners, right, with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was going into the places where there were people who were different from him, who didn't believe the things that he believed in, who didn't value the same things that he valued, and he went there. And I believe that that is one of the first steps to show love, is to go where people are at. Not ask them to become like you, but to go to where they live and to learn about their life, to care about the things that they care about. The, second, the, the next thing we can do... Um, so that we can be known by, by God's love is to accept people without judgment. To accept people without judgment. Um, 
One of the things that I've been realizing that when people hear that you're a Christian and they avoid you or they, you know, don't want to be around you or they think uh, not well of you, often behind that that I feel is fear and a sense that I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged by you. I'm going to be thought of as not as good as you, that something's wrong with me. And so there's a fear of being judged. And, and, and they don't want that. And who wants that, right? So I think it's so important for us to accept people and to love them no matter what. And we talk often about how do we share the good news with people. For some people, Jesus is not yet good news because they don't know. They don't know about God's love yet. They haven't experienced yet, right? All they know is, is judgment and hypocrisy. And so we have to go out of our way to accept people for wherever they are and to just love them as people. I went to a conference, and uh, one of the speakers, it was a, it was a conference um, on, on ministering to people in the gay community. And this one woman was sharing, and she said that she um, uh, grew up and, and she figured out after a while that she was gay and, and she was a lesbian and she had a partner. And she, she said she was just going on and, and living her life until she, her uh, manager, you know, she started to know this manager and found out that he was a Christian. And she thought, oh, you know, he's going to not like me. You know, he's going to find out that, that I'm gay. But over time, the supervisor just kept reaching out to her and being a good friend. And it was Thanksgiving. And he said, hey, do you have any plans for Thanksgiving? And she said, uh, no, not, not really, because she had just broken up with her partner. So he said, well, why don't you come over to our house for Thanksgiving? And she went, looked at him, and she goes, um, you know I'm gay, right? <laughs> and he said, I know. Why? Do you not eat Thanksgiving turkey? And so, so she went over to his home, and she uh, met his family and met his wife and met his kids and saw how they loved each other and saw how he treated her. And she said she had never seen a man treat a woman with respect the way uh, he treated his wife, with respect, with gentleness, with kindness. And so over the next uh, year or so, she was invited in for Christmas, and she was invited for, you know, different events, you know, watching the, the football game, whatever. And over time, she began to see this man, and they began to have conversations about God, about life, and then she said for the first time she began to feel that she had a family to belong to. And then later on she shared how she had been abused um, as a young girl and she had just shied away from, from men. And she said it was the love of this, this man who was like a father figure to her that just loved on her, accepted her, and that she got to know the love of God and ended up giving her life to Jesus. And she said she had shown, chosen the celibate life, but she goes around the country now uh, telling people that they are loved, that they are loved. I believe, as I shared earlier, that the deepest needs of people, as how God created us, is to experience love, to receive love, and to give love. God wired us up that way. That's why he created marriage. That's why he created friendships. That's why he created families. But we live in a world that many people don't experience that, right? They grow up um, never having a heard I love you from someone in their family. Our church is, um, has been doing uh, this study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Have you guys learned, heard of that or know of that? Emotionally Healthy Spirituality It's a book that was written by a pastor named Peter Scazzaro. And he talks about how we can grow spiritually or we can't grow, really grow spiritually until we grow and mature emotionally. And so many of us as Christ followers, we have uh, you know, learned more, a lot about God, but yet our emotions are still um, not matured. We still live in a lot of fear. We still live, um, we don't know how to forgive people around us. And so there is one exercise in this book where we have to go around and we have to share our feelings. You know, something we're happy about, something we're sad about. We have to share, you know, something that we're, we, we are hoping for. 
And, you know, I thought, oh, you know, these are easy questions. But as we went around the group, one by one, people would often say, this is very hard to know uh, what, I'm, what I want, what I wish for. Because when I grew up, um, I never got anything I wanted. My, I learned that if I ever wanted anything, uh, I wouldn't get it. Um, because it wasn't important what I wanted. It was only important what my parents chose for me or what they thought was good for me. And I stopped. I, I don't know how to wish for things anymore. Someone else uh, shared that you know, this, this person was in their, in their 50s and said, um, it's hard for me to talk about love because I have never heard my parents ever say to me, I love you, I'm proud of you, um, you know, anything like that, their whole lives. And many of you are probably in this room and you maybe will say the same thing, that you haven't experienced that from your own earthly parents or earthly families. And so this is a need, I think, that, the, that each of us have in, a, in our heart that God wants to come and to bring healing and to show us what it's like to be loved and to show us what an unconditional love is all about. The second thing I think we need to do is to ask questions when we meet people who are different from us. Um, I was on a plane once, and, and there was this uh, woman on the plane that I met, and I'm going to call her Alice. Alice. So I was on a plane um, uh, going to a, a pastor's conference, and, um, and you know I was kind of studying and reading some articles, and so Alice was sitting next to me, and so she asked me what, what, I, was, what I was doing in, in Chicago, and I said, oh, I'm going to this um, uh, conference. And again, you know, I told you guys that when I get asked questions, I always have to think about how to respond. Oh, so, of course, she said, well, what kind of conference are you going to? And I go, okay, if I say I'm going to a pastor's conference, then the conversation is over. So I said, well, I, I'm going to a conference about churches. And she said, oh, so you're a churchgoer, huh? And, and I said, yeah. And, and I said, yes, well, we're meeting to talk about how people today say they're spiritual but not religious, and how the church can do a better job at serving people. And she said, yeah, well, that's me. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I don't like church, and I don't believe in God. And I said, great. And I thought, that's the end of that conversation. But a few seconds later, she says, well, actually, I do believe in God. I do believe in God, but I church... But I think the church is, you know, and I won't repeat what she said, but basically a, a pretty messed up place. And she began to criticize all the different things about the church and being hypocritical and full of people that, you know, that judgmental and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so generally, when that happens, has that ever happened to you? Have you had those conversations with people, right, who are very critical of the church? And so it, when that happens, often our response is, to defend the church. Well, not our church, not Christian layman church. We're not like that. Um, or to say, well, just because you had one church, bad church experience, you know, doesn't mean, you know, something's wrong with Jesus. Um, you know, we can, we can feel hurt. We can feel misunderstood. We can begin to argue uh, about, you know, well, that's not really true. Um, but, but praise God, he, he gave me the grace not to respond. Um, Instead, I said, yeah, you know, churches and Christians can be pretty messed up. Don't get me started. In fact, that's why I'm going to this conference, to see how the church can be less messed up and be more loving the way we're supposed to be. Then that opened up uh, an opportunity for her to share a little bit more about her story. And this is what I found out. I found out that she, Alice had a good reason for not trusting the church because she actually grew up in church and she was Catholic. And there's a time that she was volunteering for the church. And she had, you know, they had different um, church um, 
not mementos, but um, different things, uh, different like holy things. I'm not Catholic. I can't remember what they were. But, you know, where you could buy or you could get blessed by, you know, holy water you could buy. You, could, you have to pay. You can pay for the priest to pray for you. And so she was in this kind of the stock room kind of moving all the, um, you know, the cups and the bookmarks and the prayer books and, and everything. And she said, she goes, I saw how much the church was charging people for, like, prayer books. You know, people who wanted to worship God for this holy water to be blessed. And the churches were making so much money from these things. And she says it was just wrong. It was just wrong. The church should not be taking advantage of people that way. So she quit, and she left the church, and she never looked back. I said to her, that's so wrong. I'm so sorry. You are right. The churches shouldn't be that way. In fact, the churches should be giving things for free. In fact, if you come to our church... (laughs) We give away books and everything is free. Now, but, you know, there's, a, there's something that is hurt in people's lives, right? They have been hurt by the church in so many ways. And, um, and that will come out often when we hear their stories. And so um, I wanted us to think about that tonight, about people that we know Uh, people that maybe we have tried to reach out to, people that have a negative view of the church, and to see if there's a way that we can begin to build trust with people by inviting them um, to get to know God, to inviting them to um, experience God's love for them through us, not through judgment, but through listening, through caring, um, through accepting and to ask meaningful questions. Um, I was thinking about um, this one person that I met in in China, and I wanted to share a little bit about his story, and I will put his picture up there. But his name is Bob, um, and uh, he during uh, when we would go to China, and this is 2010. This was my my first mission trip to China, and uh, Julie is in the very center there, in the kind of the pink and 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 blue. Address, but Julie was one of our teachers there in China, and she was teaching English. And as she was uh, meeting people, there's all these people, and I'm there. Actually, there's Gordon. Gordon, <laughs> Gordon is there. I told him we were going to show this picture, but Gordon came with that mission trip, and we're there. And these are all students. They're in medical students, and Bob is on the very left. And so Bob, um, I met Bob there at the time, and we started chatting with Bob. And Bob had a lot of different questions about God and creation. And, and in China, most people are evolutionists, evolution people. They're atheists. They don't believe in God. Um, they believe in evolution and science. And so Bob just had a lot of questions, and he would ask me about different things, and he would say he believed in evolution. So I started chatting with him about how, you know, I believe that there was a God, and I believe that we were created by, by God, and that life uh, came from God. And he said, no, you know, that all of China believes that, you know, life came from um, matter. And I said, oh, okay, so so life, so matter is, is no life, but you think life then came from no life? So life came from something dead? And uh, we had interesting conversations. So I said, well, that's hard to believe too, but I believe that life came from life. And isn't that easy to believe? Anyway, we had those conversations. But all this time, he came to every Bible study that we had, every um, activity that we had, and I thought he was a Christian at that time. And, uh, but but I, I found out later that he was actually on a mission to save Julie. Um, because Bob grew up, um, and his grandmother was a Christian, but she was um, part of this Christian group that um, that prayed all the time. So she, he said his grandmother took him there and had him kneel on the ground and pray. And they prayed for an hour. He says his, his, his knees hurt, but they, they wouldn't let them stand up, and they wouldn't let them go see the doctor, and his grandmother got sick. And because they wouldn't allow them to see doctors, they would just pray over her 
his grandmother died. And so he grew up thinking Christianity is, is a wicked religion. And he was adamant against it. But he loved Julie because Julie was a teacher there, and Julie loved Bob. And Julie would invite Bob over to her home and make dinner and invite the students over. And she would chat with Bob about his family and about his life, about his struggles. And, uh, and Bob loved Julie. Bob didn't like Christianity, but Bob loved Julie. So Bob was on a mission to save Julie. And so uh, after he, afterwards, he wrote this letter to Julie after he had actually become a Christian. And he said this, Dear Julie, before we met, I was totally against Christianity. I thought it was a wicked religion. Um, when I was a child, I went with my grandmother to a Christian group, and the priest made me kneel on the ground. They read the Bible to us for an hour, and he wouldn't let me stand up. And my, mother, uh, my grandmother got sick, but they wouldn't let her see the doctor, and so she died. And, it was, and I believe that it was Christianity that killed my grandmother. And after that, I hated Christianity and even Christians. When I came to your apartment, I saw a note that said, With a single gift that God gives us, we have everything. Oh, gosh, a Christian, I thought. I laughed. What a foolish people. I will absolutely find the evidence that Christianity is nothing and take you out of that religion. But I knew nothing about Christianity, so I tried to hang out with you often. I thought that I could find the evidence I needed from you. But the more I knew you, the more I found out that you had a healthy and wonderful life more than anyone else that I had known. Why, I always asked myself, how could this be? The way you live is what I was searching for all these years. My life has been messed up all these years, and when I was in high school, I always wondered what the meaning of life was. The more I wondered, the more I got frustrated because I could not find the answer. It was just like a shadow was always following me and making me so lonely in the world. So many times I thought of suicide. I was depressed all day. I did not have a real friend in my last three years of college life. I didn't want to talk to my classmates because they might laugh and say, what are you doing? Stop it. You're foolish. I became addicted to cartoons and computer games, and sometimes I played computer games from morning until midnight without eating. I was just like a dried-up tree waiting to die so that all my pain would end. But things began to change after I met you. It's amazing, really. At first, I said to myself, try to be a Christian. Think what they think. Do what they do. Then I could find the evidence to defeat Christianity. But what was amazing was that the more I tried to act like a Christian, the more I wanted to be a Christian, the more I loved Christianity. You kept inviting me to eat over at your home, and I experienced love from you. Then I finally watched the Alpha DVD. She gave him some DVDs, and you can never imagine how I felt. I cannot find words to express how happy I am. I cannot stop dancing because years of suffering have ended. Finally, I found out what I was searching for, what I, what I should do, and what life is about. Christianity has fulfilled me, changed me, cured me, made me reborn, has taken me out of the darkness, has really set me free. Now I'm reading the Bible continuing, continually and learning a lot from it. I can feel God's love with me all the time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We share the gospel to people who even are opposed because we know that God's love changes them. And this is a message, this is what I've been talking about even this morning. But tonight, I realized something. I realized that for some of us here, we too, we too need to experience the love of God. That some of us are here, and maybe, I don't know all of you, but maybe some of you are like Bob. Or some of you are like Alice. You feel let down in some ways by the church. You felt let down by way, in some ways, by Christians and even by God. Sometimes I think that the reason why we're not as bold to share the love of God 
is because the God's love is not overflowing from us. We ourselves are dry sometimes. We ourselves wonder, does God know what's going on in my life? Does God know my struggles? Does he care? Is he going to help me when I need him? And so this is what God has impressed upon me tonight. In this time that we have, even though we, we know the good news in our heads, sometimes we don't feel it in our hearts. And, and tonight, I just wanted us to spend some time uh, with worship. And, and J.D.'s going to come up and lead us in a time of worship. But um, sometimes we need to know this love of God for ourselves. Um, I know um, I talk to many people um, at our church and, and, and meet with different people. And often, even those who are Christians, those who are in the church, feel disappointed by God for one reason or another. Maybe something you hoped for didn't happen. Maybe marriage, children, Maybe the person that you're married to wasn't faithful. Maybe someone um, got sick unexpectedly. Maybe there was a loss that you prayed and prayed, and yet um, it still happened. Years ago, um, well, last, last week I went down uh, to Southern California for my my niece, I had a niece that is graduating from, from college down at Redlands. And uh, it, was, it was a really great time to celebrate with her. But someone was missing, and that was her dad. Because um, my, father, my, uh, my brother-in-law passed away about 12 years ago. And, and she was uh, eight at the time. And, and we were uh, going to my cousin's wedding. And... Um, you know, it was kind of a, she, she, my sister went there with her husband and her two kids that were, my nieces were six and eight at the time. And they went to Hawaii and, you know, we had a great time with a, sort of like a family reunion. And I had flown separately because I was in Southern, uh, Southern Cal. So I had flown there as well. And, um, and I was actually emceeing the, the wedding rehearsal. So we went there, and, and, you know, for a whole week, they spent a great time. We all spent a great time together as, as a family and with all my cousins and aunts and uncles, and, you know, because my cousin was getting married. And we had a great wedding uh, service, and at night I emceed a great reception. And the next day on Monday, uh, every, you know, we, everyone was planning to leave um, on, uh, well, on, on Monday or on Tuesday. So on Monday, my cousin said, hey, why don't we come? to the hotel where we're getting married and everybody can swim and all the kids can be there and, uh, and we'll have a good time. So all the cousins and the kids got together and, uh, and while we were there, just 10 minutes after we had gone, all gone into the water, something happened. And uh, my sister came to me and she, she was frantically looking for her husband. And she said, where's Corey? Where's Corey? And I said, I, I don't know. And then we saw my younger niece kind of going out into the deep waters with my cousin with that little um, blow-up, um, what do you call that, floating thing. And you think, that's not good, <laughs> you know, for this six-year-old person to have this floaty thing and go out into the water. And so my sister said, go, go and get Amy. She shouldn't be in the water. Go get her. Where is Corey? And I said, don't know what, you know, Corey was there with my older niece, Christine. Um, and so uh, I went out and I'm swimming out there and then I go and I grab my younger niece and I, and I force her to, to come back with me. And I'm not a good swimmer, so I'm really tired. And as I'm swimming back into shore, uh, my friend who was visiting there, one of my best friends who was there on the beach with us, she's, she's swimming towards me. You know, I'm halfway from the buoy to shore and she's swimming halfway and she says, Nancy, you have to go to shore. You have to go to shore. And I said, well, obviously, I'm trying to go to shore right now. And she said, no, leave Amy here as fast as you can. Something happened to Corey. So I went to the shore, and he had been pulled out 
and something had happened to him and he had drowned. Um, and so my sister was there and I was there and we were praying over him. And, and you have to know that in my whole family, no one is a Christian but us. Right? Only my, my sister and myself, you know, no, no one else is a Christian. All my cousins, all my aunts and uncles, no one else is, is a Christian but us. And so I'm praying for my brother-in-law, and I'm saying to God, God, always the evangelist. This is the time, God, you're going to show up. Okay, you're going to raise Corey from the dead, and all these people are going to praise your name, and they're all going to become believers. So, you know, do your thing, you know. And so we were praying and praying, and then the ambulance came, and they, you know, the, the paramedics took him, you know, away, and then we went to the hospital, and uh, as soon as I got to the hospital, um, the priest, Catholic priest, came to get me. And this is what I learned. You, you, you don't want the priest to come get you uh, when you go into the hospital, because that means that he's gone. And so we went there. And uh, he had passed away, um, and he was already he had already passed away, and so it was a very traumatic time for us. And I remember thinking and praying to God, and I said, God, um, we tell people that you're a good God, right? We tell people that you're a loving God. How could you let this happen? How could this happen in the midst of all the people who don't yet know you? Right, who don't think that you're a good God. This is not this is not a good witness for you. You know what I'm saying? But it happened and and then I started to think, God, are you really there? Do you really hear our prayers? Right? Do you really care? So I don't know if that's ever happened to you in your life. You know, where something has happened, some trial you've gone through, something that you have suffered a loss. And have you ever turned to God and said, God, are you there? Do you hear the cry of my heart? Do you care about me? Do you really love me? Right? That happens to us as believers. And you know what? That happens to all kinds of people, right? Whether they know it or not, whether they know Jesus or not, it is a cry of their heart to know, is there a God who loves us? Is there a God who cares? And so even for me, during this time, it was a dark time for me. And I was thinking, God, are you there? Are you real? I don't hear anything. Why aren't you speaking to me? So we go to the airport, and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're just so out of it. And, and what happened was I was actually supposed to leave to take a mission team to Japan, <laughs> like, four days later. And obviously, I, I couldn't go. So I had been on, and I was flying back, you know, to L.A., so I had been on the, on the phone, and I called to change our flights. But because it was a un, call it an unattended death, it, it had to be uh, autopsied and all of that, uh, his body. So we had to wait another day, and then we had to arrange for funeral service, and that took a while. We had to, so I kept going on the phone, switching our flights, switching our flights. And one day it took me eight hours to switch our flights so that I would no longer fly to L.A., but I would fly back with my sister. I would take Corey's ticket and fly back with my sister and the kids with his body back here to San Jose. So by the time we got to the airport, we were just so wasted and so tired and just so sad. And we waited in line, and I was saying to God, God, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you, God. And then all of a sudden, I heard this voice saying, Go to that woman. And I thought it was my sister. So I turned around and I said, what? And she was like, what? And I said, you told me to go to that woman. And she said, I, I didn't say anything. And I thought, well, that's weird. And I said, God, is, 
is that you? Okay. And I don't know if you ever do this, but I said, God, if that's you, okay, make it so that when I get to the beginning of the line, she's the, she's the person I have to go to. Just do it. If that's really you, I need a sign right now. Okay, I'm not in a good place. <laughs> I need a sign. So we go up and, you know, all the lines, and there's like six open spots, so I guess I have a one out of six chance. But I go to the front, and this other guy is just leaving another uh, another person agent and I said oh he's going to be the one I'm going to have to go to this guy maybe it's not God and and then all of a sudden it's like he forgot something so he's fiddling at the at the, his, the counter meanwhile the other person leaves and then this woman goes like this to me and there's that's the woman that God told me I felt like to see so I go over to this woman and I tell her our situation. I said, I know, you know, I don't have the, the right ticket, and these are the tickets we have, but, you know, my brother-in-law just passed away, and so I'm going to use his ticket. I give her the whole spiel, and she goes, okay, okay, let me, uh, let, let me see what I can do. So she's typing things on the computer, and she's on the phone, and, um, and she's just taking forever, you know, and I'm thinking, what is your problem, lady? You know, how long does it take to get us on the flight? I already made arrangements. You should have the, the reservations. And I was almost about to say something. That then, then she goes into the back. She makes another phone call. She comes back. And then finally she goes, okay, all right, I think I have it. And so she gives us these tickets. There's four tickets. I look at them, and they are four first-class tickets. And I have never sat in first class. And not only that, I learned later from my sister Oh, she told me that when they flew over, in fact, she had told me this a few days ago, that when they flew over, the kids, you know, they're leaving the, the cabin of the plane, and they pass through the first class, you know, people sitting down. And my oldest niece tells, says, Daddy, why are those chairs bigger than ours? And then her dad said to her, don't worry about it. You're never going to sit there. <laughs> and so we come back, and we have these four class, first class tickets, and so then I just start to cry. And then the lady who gives me the ticket, she gets, she, she stops and she steps over the counter, you know where you're, you put your suitcase? She steps over that, comes over, and she hugs me. And she says, my friend Joan told me about you. Because I eat lunch with Joan, who I made the reservation. She says, I eat lunch with Joan every day. And she said to me, look out for this family. And when they come, take care of them. Take care of them. That day, I was reminded that God loves us that he hears our prayers, that he knows when we suffer. He knows when we go through hard things. But it doesn't change the fact that he still loves us. And that is the good news. That is the good news, and I hope it's good news for us today. And so that's what I want to do tonight in our time uh, the rest of this evening is for us to receive that anew. Not just to share it with others, but to be filled with the knowledge that we are loved by God ourselves. So would you just pray with me? Lord God, this weekend, Lord, so far we've just been listening to stories of how you've touched other people's lives with your great love. Stories of how you meet us where we are and your desire to, to heal us and to bless us and to change our lives. And tonight, God, I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself to us anew. 
that as we grow and learn and 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 want other people to know your great love lord it comes out of the place that we know your love for us that we know that you see us that you hear our prayers that no matter what we are going through you are with us and for us and you will never leave us or forsake us so tonight lord i ask that you would meet with us show yourself to us speak to us fill us up show us what your love is like that we could love others the way you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.